Let me ask, has any one of you ever wondered um, what's God's will for you? Uh, you ever gotten to a point in your life where you're just like, man, Lord, what do you want here? Like, what do you want me to do? Or you just find yourself praying and praying and praying and praying, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which choice to make. I don't know what to do. Lord, I need you. I need you to guide me. I need you to lead me. I need you to direct me. I need to know what your will is for me, for me personally, Tony, is there a verse that I can find in here that has my name on it somewhere that says this is God's plan for Tony? And, and uh, I know probably most of you, if not all of you, if, if, if you're following the Lord and you've, you've come to that place, who knows how many times, right? Uh, where it's just like, Lord, man, I just, this would be one of those times that would be really nice to hear the voice of the Lord. I mean, it'd be really good if you spoke in an audible way and, and said something right now. It would be really helpful. Well, today, um, and, and possibly next week as well, let's see how far we get today, but um, uh, we're going to talk about what's God's purpose for me? What's God's purpose for you? And, and uh, if you'll turn in Acts 13, it's a verse that we looked at um, sort of last week. We kind of talked about it for a second, but I really want to look at it and and. and t- Kind of go from that passage or that verse this morning. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Acts 13, 36. Just one verse. But it stood out to me as I read it. It says this, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. When I read that, I just stopped and I just asked, would that verse be able to be written about me at the end of my life? Would someone be able to say, Tony, when he finished, when God's purpose for him, for his generation was completed, well, then he fell asleep and he went to heaven. Would that be able to be said about me? Would that be able to be said about you? Am I fulfilling the purpose that God has for me right now in this generation? And yes, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, living for the glory of God. But sometimes really in our hearts, what we want is, Lord, I don't just want to know to live for the glory of God. I want to know what your purpose is for me I want to know exactly what you want me to do. Am I doing what you've called me to do in every way? Would you tell me that? Would you show me that? And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about it. God's purpose for us, for you, for me. And uh, what does that mean? And uh, I want you to look again at the passage. And and, uh, when it says that, it's talking about a guy in this passage named David. Now, David's very popular person from the Bible. And so I thought it'd be good um, since we know that God or, or that David fulfilled God's purpose for him. Let's look at David for a minute and see who he was, what he was like, what he did uh, in his life. And, and, uh, and the first thing I want to look at is, is um, the calling of David. Uh, when David was first called in 1 Samuel 16, we're not going to read this, this whole um, story, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. 
First Samuel is in the Old Testament there. Uh, if you have a, a, an ESV Bible, which is what I, I teach from, it, you can just go right to page 238 and you'll beat everyone and look really, really knowledgeable. Um, but First Samuel 16 talks about when David was anointed as king. And so God sends Samuel to this house to anoint the guy who's going to be the next king, the guy who's going to take Saul's place. And so Samuel, just going to summarize this, kind of shorten it up a little bit, uh, but Samuel goes to this house and he goes expecting to find this great future king. And so uh, these sons are brought before Samuel one at a time. And if you know the story, you know what happens. Like this first guy comes out and he's like this big, strong, great looking guy. You're picturing me. I know. But listen, he was like bigger. If you can imagine that. All right. And stronger, if you can imagine that. All right. And so here's like this guy and he comes out and 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 samuel's like well this is this is pretty quick this is going to happen pretty fast uh we'll be in and out i'll do my little thing here and then it's over god says no it's not him the next brother comes out he's big he's you know he looks good he looks good king looks like he could be a good king it's not him the next one it's not him it's not him it's not him it's not finally samuel's like is there anybody else like you got anybody else here in the house? And and uh, and the dad's like, you know, we got we got one more son, but he's out tending the sheep. He's just a, a little guy. Um, we'll go get him, bring him in. And and it's David. David comes in and 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 as soon as he comes in, God says, he's the one. He's the one. He's the king. And, and I want you to imagine that for a second. I had Alden stay for just a second. Come up here for a second, Alden. All right. Imagine Alden. It's my buddy. Alden, uh, Alden's seven. Move this out of the way so you can see him. Imagine like a guy like coming in like this, right? And and here he comes walking in, and God says, "Perfect. He's my choice. This is the one I'm picking. This is this is who I've called. This is who I've chosen. This is the one I'm going to use to be king of Israel." Now, what's everyone think? What are the brothers thinking, right? Uh, I just had him in a headlock like 45 minutes ago, right? You might have got the wrong guy. No, this is who God chose. This is the one that God had set apart to do his work. And so from the very beginning, he calls David. You can have a seat for a second. Okay, buddy. Um, from the very beginning, he calls. You, you want to go to your class? Go for it. Okay, go ahead. Um, from the very beginning, he calls David. But I want you to notice the, the process of choosing David. Because from the very beginning of this, in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16, as these these big guys are coming in, um, verse Samuel says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, talking about the other guy, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the first thing that we know about David is God looked at his heart. God was looking at his heart and who he was on the inside, who he really was. You know, we took um, Alden to school this past week. And they had this sign that was perfect to kind of teach him through this, this process. But there's a sign on the, on the wall of the school and it says, um, good character is doing what is right even when no one's looking. So that's good. Let's stop and look at the sign here, Alden. Let's read that, okay? 
And, and that's what God was looking at, is looking at David's heart and who he really was on the inside. Not, not who he's trying to be like in front of his brothers, not who he's trying to be like to his parents, not who he's trying to be like with his friends, but really in his heart. What is he like? The next thing about um, David that we know is, is, is that Scripture says he's a man after God's own heart. Now, we talked about that earlier in, in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, in the sermon that, that Paul is, is preaching. And, and he references that. And, and, and he's referencing a passage from 1 Samuel, again, which is 1 Samuel 13, um, 14. But what it says is that God literally says that David is a man after my own heart. He was pursuing God from his heart. He genuinely wanted God, he just didn't want attention. He didn't want to just look like a good guy. He didn't want to just look like he was doing the right thing. From his heart, he was after God. He didn't just, you know, if we can use modern day language, right? He didn't just go to church because he he, he thought that was just the right thing to do. And he wanted people in his neighborhood or his people in the church to think this is a good person because they go to church. No, God said, I see his heart and I see that he's a man after me he wants to know me he wants me and so god says he's a man after my own heart the next thing um, that we know about david is he wasn't perfect he wasn't perfect he was a bad father except for his his last um, son solomon he failed as a father if you see what happens with his sons where where they one tries to steal the kingdom from him it's a horrible, horrible picture of, of what's going on. And actually, there's an indictment of David where, where it says in Scripture, he, just, he never confronted these sons. He never confronted them when they were doing what was wrong. He was a bad father. And it gets worse than that, right? We know from Scripture that David fell big time, big time. He had too many wives already. And then he sees Bathsheba and he says, I want her too. And she's married to another man, and so he takes her and then kills her husband. He wasn't perfect. He failed. But he was forgiven because he was after God and he wanted to know God and his, his heart was after God. Even when he failed, he was confronted by Nathan and he repented, genuinely repenting, not because he had been caught not feeling guilty because he had been caught, but because before God, a holy God, he had failed. He had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so he repented and God forgave him. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage in Second Samuel 22 where, where David goes through this song and, and talks about because of my righteousness and because of the cleanness of my hands. And, and, and Francis, when he preached a month ago, he talked about that passage where he says, God stooped down to make me great. But the passage, this whole passage is just this, this picture of God's grace in David's life. Where even in the midst of failure, even in the midst of where, where he turned his back on God's law and did what God absolutely would not want him to do, God forgave him and showed him grace so that at the end of his life he could say, because of the cleanness of my hands, before God I'm clean. God's forgiven me. He's washed it away. And it's because of God. He stooped down to make me great. He's the one that did that. He was able to fulfill God's purpose for him. That's the last thing we know right here in the passage. He was able to fulfill God's purpose for him. At the end of his life, it could be written about David. He fulfilled God's purpose for his generation. I want that to be written about me. 
I want someone to be able to say that about me. Tony did exactly what God wanted him to do for his generation. He fulfilled God's purpose for him, for his generation. So what is that? How do I know? How do you know? What is God's purpose so that we can do it? So we can do whatever it is that God wants us to do. Psalm 19, um, verse 1, just to just kind of get us started. What is our purpose? Um, Psalm 19, verse 1. You can write this down. Uh, it'd be a good one to, to put to memory if you haven't. Real simple. The heavens declare the glory of God. Just the first part of it, okay? The heavens declare the glory of God. And we can make that bigger from Scripture. God's creation, what He's created, okay? It, it declares His glory. I mean, His fingerprints are all over creation, right? I mean, you look at the mountains and, and just the, the, the huge, huge, huge mountains that just explode out of the earth. And, and, and you're just taken by these huge mountains. You stand before them and you realize, man, I'm pretty small. And, and God is pretty big. If His, if His hands just formed that, if He just spoke that into existence, God's pretty big. And so these, these heavens, as we look at the stars of the sky, if you've ever gone somewhere out in the country where it's just really dark and it's a clear sky and sometimes it feels like you can just reach up and grab the stars, right? I mean, they're just, it, and it's so thick, just a blanket of stars across the sky, right? And it's just so thick and you're just like, I'm so small. I'm so little. And, and all of that declares God's glory. It just declares how wonderful he is because he created that. All of his creation just screams that he's glorious. Now, his creation can just sit there and do nothing and declare that he's glorious. We're different, okay? We're different. We're made in God's image. We're image bearers of God, okay? All of the creation, it declares his glory, but we're his image bearers. What that means is we're made to reflect to the world what God is like, to reflect his character, you know, I brought Alden up uh, a, a little bit ago, right? If I made something this morning and brought it, right, it wouldn't be very good, by the way. I'm not um, handy, I think is the word. Is that the word? Uh, I'm not very handy. If I made a table, uh, I would have had to start at the beginning of the year, first of all. Uh, so there's no way I could have pulled that off for an illustration. But if I had made a table this morning, it would have revealed one thing. Tony's not very glorious. Um, it would have told about my glory, but in truthfully... Uh, and it would have said, not very good, not very glorious. Um, but that would have been what I made, man. It would have revealed <laughs> some really truthful things about me. I'm not good at making things. I'm not, that, it's just not good, okay? Um, I'm good at making kids, though. And, and uh, I've got four to prove it, okay? And so when you see Alden, though, like if, if, I, if I made a table, it wouldn't be very, blah, you know, it would just be like, okay, I declare some things about him. Um, but Alden, if you look at Alden, kind of resembles me a little bit, um, looks like me, okay? And, and I remember when he was born, like he comes out and I'm like, ah, that's me. Uh, and Sean is like, that is weird. Like that is really weird to see someone that tiny with your face. And, and uh, it just, it's just kind of weird. Like he, he looks like me. He, he, he has my image on him. And, and, and so as he goes out, there's things about him that are going to be like me. My parenting is going to reflect how he lives. And so I'm going to be a reflection in the world through him, right? Uh, the things that I do in the home, the way that I live in the home, people are going to kind of be able to tell that through my kids, through my son, Alden. He looks like me and he's going to act like I act, right? Because that's going to kind of 
rub off on him somewhat. But not just that, he's expected, okay, he's expected to live outside of my presence the way that I've told him to live. He's expected to obey my instruction even when I'm not there. That's what he's expected to do. And in the same kind of way, just way bigger, we're made in the image, in the image of God. The mountains, they were not made in the image of God. They cannot um, go around and reflect God's character to the world. They can't be a picture of God to the world. The skies, they're, they're amazing and they're glorious, but they were not made to go around and reflect the character of God to the world. We were. That's why we were made. We were made as image bearers of God. And, and so as we, as we go into this question of what's my purpose, what's my role, what do you want from me, Lord, and all of that, number one is God made us to reflect his character and what he's like and who he is to the people around us. That's why he made us. He made us to glorify him, to bring him worship and to praise, and our role in the world is to reflect his character and what he's like. And, and so as we go into that, what's he like? And how are we reflecting that? Are we really a genuine reflection? As people look at us, can they get a sense of what our God is like? Of what God is like for real? Not what we think of God or how we treat God. Or Can they get a sense of God's character, of His holiness, of His goodness, of His, of his love, of His grace, of His mercy as they look at me? Am I a reflection of that? Am I an image bearer of God? That's why He made us. Couple things um, from Scripture about Christ and how He fulfilled God's purpose for Him. If we're supposed to be a reflection of God and we're supposed to be a reflection of Christ, then then how did Christ um, fulfill God's purpose? And what was Christ's purpose? A couple of passages, real quick. Um, You don't have to look them up, but Luke four forty three. Jesus is talking. He says, "I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well." For I was sent for this purpose. One of the purposes that God was sent or Christ was sent to the earth was so that he would preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. That's kind of a picture of us being a reflection, right? Of God, of his mercy, of his grace, that he's taking the kingdom of God. He's preaching the kingdom of God to the world, not just to this one town, not to just to his hometown, but he's taking it to the ends of the earth even. And preaching the good news of the kingdom. He says in uh, John 18, when he's on trial before Pilate, he says, you say that I'm a king. He's saying this to Pilate, okay? So Pilate has said, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So part of our purpose, part of it, okay? If we're going to reflect Christ, if we're going to reflect God to the world is, We have to look like Christ and we ought to be taking the kingdom of God. We ought to be advancing the kingdom and we ought to be taking truth. That's what he says, to bear witness to the truth. That's my purpose. That's why I came into the world is so that people would know the truth. And the truth is Christ, right? Jesus said in in, in John 14, verse 6, I'm the way and I'm the truth. I'm the truth. And so if we're going to take truth into the world and we're going to be a reflection of Christ, we're going to fulfill his purpose, then we ought to be taking truth to the world. John seventeen four, when Jesus is, is praying, and, and uh, I encourage you to read John 17 if you haven't read it in a long time. It's Jesus' prayer. It's a prayer for the disciples, prayer for us. 
uh, those that follow him after he left. Uh, it's a great, great passage and how Jesus prayed for you. Okay, but in John seventeen four, he's praying and he says he's talking to God. Obviously, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And we talk about that a lot. We talk about living for the glory of God. We talk about how uh, in all that we do, first Corinthians chapter 10, where it says, uh, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you, whether you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, whatever you do, do it for God's glory. Well, Jesus glorified God. One of the ways he was able to glorify God and how we will be able to glorify God is if we can say the same thing, we've accomplished the work that you gave us to do. You gave us this work. You, you handed us the ball and we took it and we fulfilled it. We did what you called us to do. And therefore, we glorified you because we fulfilled that purpose that you gave to us. Romans chapter 12. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be there for just a little bit. Romans chapter 12. How do we discern the will of God for our life? How can we discern that? How do we discern God's will for us? There's a great passage um, used often in, in light of worship. What is worship? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's why it's used as a worship passage. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. Verse 2 again, okay? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So for the first step for us, if we're going to discern what God's will is for us, if we're going to discern God's purpose for you, God's purpose for me, then we have to obey this passage. And what it says is, if I'm going to be able to discern that, then I can't be conformed to this world. I can't be conformed to the direction and the ways of this world. I can't be conformed to the things that are pleasing this world. I have to be transformed. I have to be completely converted in mind, right? I have to be changed in my mind. I have to be transformed in mind by the renewal of my mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect, that is going to be God's will for you, by the way. What is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. That's not the end of what we're talking about, okay? It's not, okay, now you know God's will, good, perfect, acceptable, okay? But what is good, what is perfect, what is acceptable. Isn't that, honestly, if, if, you're, if you're following after God, if, you just, if you're genuinely in your heart and wanting to know Him, Man, don't you just, in your heart, you're just like, yes, that's, that's what I want. At the end of my life, that's genuinely what I want. I want to be able to look back and know that I've done what is good, what is perfect, what is acceptable. That's God's will, is that we would do that, what, what is perfect and good and acceptable to Him, okay? And so, so in this passage, 
in verse one, it, it, it talks about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Is everybody clear on what a sacrifice is here? Everyone knows what a sacrifice is, right? It's, it's literally something that's giving its life, okay? It's something that is, is literally giving up its life, willingly or not, okay? Depending on what you're looking at there, right? But giving up its life for something else, okay? And what God has called us to is to be a living sacrifice. Not that we're literally being physically killed, but then by our transformed mind we're saying to the lord here is me this is me this is all of me i I, there are things that i love there's things that i like there's things that i do i'm not i'm not saying yes to any of those anymore unless they're according to your plan this is me and i want you to take all of me i am a living sacrifice giving myself completely to you and to who you are and to what you want not what i want I'm a living sacrifice. Those next two words, holy and acceptable. That word holy, we say it a lot. We sing it a lot. It means set apart. It it, it means to be completely set apart. When you think of that from this next part where it says, don't be conformed to this world, be holy instead. Be set apart. Be, Be different. Be other than this world. As the world looks at us, they ought to see something different, something that literally reflects what God is like, something that literally shows them what God is like. Would he be participating in that? Then we ought to be able to show by what we're doing or what we're not doing, what God is like in that area. And so be, be, be separate, be holy, be, be set apart. And then that next word, be acceptable. The things that we're set apart in, do it do things that are acceptable to God, okay? We're not just making rules. Uh, and too many churches, just they just make rules. You can do this and you can't do that. That's not the truth. That's not the gospel. You look at Galatians, you look at Paul's writings and, and, and the things that he says, it's, it's not rules, it's being acceptable to God. It's living a life, like this is saying, of worship of laying my life before God and saying, God, I'm yours. I'm not mine anymore. I'm yours. I was bought with a price, your son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm laying myself before you to live for you. We're going to get back uh, to this passage in just a minute, but there's some important passages um, that actually tell us things that we ought to already know about living for God's will. Uh, We already know from Scripture some things specifically where the Bible says this is God's will. And so we want to look at those before we get more into detail of other stuff. But um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's turn to the right and not very far. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Just briefly read these few verses. Verses 3 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting with verse 3. For this is the will of God. The good start, right? <laughs> this is the, anytime you read that in Scripture, I perk up. Like anytime I see those words, okay, get a pen, get a piece of paper, because this is something I need to know, all right? For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Let me stop right there and, and explain that, okay? That word sanctification, another church word, okay, um, it, it's, it's the process of becoming more like Christ. It's the, it's the process of becoming 
holy, okay? More and more and more and more set apart for God. That's the process. Sanctification is the process when we come to know the Lord, when we come into a relationship with God, this process that we go through, the Holy Spirit does inside of us where it's cleaning out, right? It's cleaning out the old stuff and and we're becoming more and more and more and more and more obedient and more like Christ, okay? And so this picture of sanctification, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. It goes on, it gets specific, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So one of the things we know about God's will for us is that it's our sanctification, that we become more like Christ. And even more specifically in this passage, it's purity. It's sexual purity. If, if there's things in our life where it's thoughts or whatever it is, he says, don't have any part of that. And, and it's, it's beautiful in 1 Corinthians verse 6 where, where Paul says, flee from it, run from it, like sprint away from it. When that temptation comes, don't even think about it. Run as hard as you can away from it. Why? Verse 7. Turn the page. That's, that's really good. I've got it right here. Because God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God hasn't called us to that. And there's no way we can be a reflection of what Christ is like if we are tied down by that. Or if we're just thinking that way. Or we're caught up in that. If we're not fleeing that, then we're not being an example of Christ. A commitment I made to, um, to the Lord when I turned 33 years old. Uh, which was two years ago, I, I wrote out these um, promises um, to, to the Lord. And, and, uh, and one of them was this, okay? And I'm not telling you this because I perfected this. I'm telling you this because it's what God calls us to, all right? And, and husbands especially, uh, listen to this. But it says to never have, this is my commitment to the Lord, one of them, to never have to apologize to Alden, Leif, Sammy or Silas for cheating on their mom physically, emotionally, or visually. To never have to apologize for that. To be a father, to be a husband who, who my kids don't see me looking past their mother. My prized earthly possession that I would never have to apologize and so many times we think of this passage that's why i share this okay because we look at this passage and we think well i'm not going to commit adultery i'm not going to do that i would never cheat on my wife that's what i was talking about absolutely it means that okay but it's not just talking about that my promise to the lord and the call from god is that we would not cheat physically or emotionally or visually that we wouldn't cheat on our wives, that we wouldn't cheat on our husbands, that our hearts would be faithful to the Lord, to the Lord in that, that we would be set apart and holy. Another passage that, that we want to look at is, is on the next page from First Thessalonians 4. Turn over to, to um, 
chapter 5. Verses 16 through 18. Three things it says in, in these couple verses. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Three things. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. How many of you made it this week <laughs> rejoicing all week? Like, even, okay, let's just, you know, we're not changing scripture here, okay? I don't mean that, all right? But let's just, let's reduce it for a minute, all right? Rejoice for a week. What if it said that? How many of us could say, I did it. I rejoiced in every circumstance this whole week. I rejoiced. How about month or how about let's go the opposite way? How about today? How many of us, we got up, we got the kids ready, we got the, the, the husband ready, uh, we got the car started, we got into the church, and man, we were like, whew, I have rejoiced all day this morning. I have rejoiced. It says rejoice always. This is the will of the Lord for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Always, in all circumstances, no matter whatever comes, it will rejoice. So he said, that's impossible. You can't do that. You're right. You can't do that. But if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and Galatians says that being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we're loving, we're kind, we're patient, we're peaceful, we're, we're good, we're, we're self-controlled, we're all those things. But that word joyful is in there. We're filled with joy. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, He brings joy. And, and through us, we can rejoice in all circumstances. And it says rejoice always. Now you look at the, the church and other parts of the world that, that is being persecuted, that's suffering, that some people are being killed for the name of Christ. Some people are being imprisoned. Some people are, are being beaten, whatever it is. What are they doing? Are they moping around? No, they're a reflection of Christ. They're joyful. Scripture says about Christ, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Something we cannot comprehend. A pain and an endurance that we would never, ever have, have the ability to comprehend. Jesus did it for the joy that was set before him. And so when Scripture tells us rejoice always, what it means is we ought to Rejoice always, because that's God's will for us. The second part of that, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. What? Like, man, I I get distracted during dinner prayer. I'm like, start praying, and Lord, you know, I, I love you. Thank you so much for the food. Oh, mashed potatoes. Man, I love mashed potatoes. wonder if these are fresh mashed potatoes, or, or if, my, you know, if Shauna bought these from the store, or... What kind of mashed potatoes are these? Did she make these out of a box? Oh, sorry, Lord. Uh, and Lord, thank you so much. Just like Alden prayed, and and uh, we get distracted. How in the world do you pray without ceasing? How do you pray without ceasing? And wouldn't it be great to have this life where we are so in love with the Lord that no matter what we're doing, number one, we're rejoicing, and number two, we're communicating with the Lord. It's this relationship where whatever we're doing, we're in this relationship with God and he means that much to us. 
here's the thing, okay? Because we look at that passage and we're like, impossible, sorry, there's a verse that can't happen. It's not true. That's not true. When great things happen in my life, I don't think twice about sharing them with my wife. I don't think about it. It just happens. I'm madly in love with my wife. And so when things happen, good or bad, I want to tell someone, my wife, because I'm madly in love with her. Not because, like, she's the best listener in the world. She's a good listener, by the way, but that's not why. Because I want her to know. I want to tell her. I want to talk to her about it. Because we're in love. And if I have that much love for God, then guess what the first thing on my mind is going to be? Lord, look at this. Look how you've blessed me. Look what you've done. Look what you've given to me. Look what you've taken from me. I can believe that this is for good because you've said that. And we'll have this communication with God. Third thing is this. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Just exactly what I was just saying in the prayer thing. Whether God takes something from us or whether he gives something to us. No matter what. Thank you, Lord. I can trust that this is coming out of my life because it's important for my relationship with you. Now, I'm going to know you more or I'm going to follow you more. I'm going to trust you more because of whatever this does or whatever it is. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, that you rejoice always. You pray without ceasing. By the way, that prayer without ceasing, that's a good key and a good start for knowing what God's specific will for you is. Man, if I was talking to the Lord and, 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 and in communication with the Lord in all things, at all times, and how much am I going to be directed by Him and His Holy Spirit in the decisions, the things day in and day out where I'm just like, Lord, what do you want me to do here? What do you want me to do here? Now, that kind of a life seems really far-fetched, doesn't it? I have a life where I just daily, I have this prayer life with the Lord and just, just this conversation so that I know what decisions to make. So he's telling me to go left or right, and I'm not breaking it down to that, okay? But where he's literally guiding me and telling me where to... We, we look at that as almost like that's far-fetched. And yet, the people that were led by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament... It seems like they were led by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. They were directed by him. They were guided by him. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. Go back to Romans 12 for a minute. Romans 12, uh, after verse 2, it goes, it goes on and, and uh, has this incredible. List almost. Of how we ought to please God and how we ought to live for the Lord. I'm not going to take a long time to go through each one. Some of them, you know, you're going to look at it and you're going to go, I know what that means. I need to apply that. Starting in verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, 
They're not putting yourself up on a, a pedestal, but being realistic, in other words. Don't be intoxicated in your mind, okay? Being sober-minded. Don't be intoxicated to be fooled into thinking that you're like up here and everyone else is down here. No, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body we have many members. This is talking about the church, okay? And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this whole section is, is another sermon on serving in the church, okay, and being a part of the church that we're not going to step into here. We'll do that again later, okay? We've taught on this before, but um, we'll be doing that again later. But as, as he goes through in this passage, um, some of the things that he's saying so far is don't be conformed to the world. That's verse uh, 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't think more highly than you ought, but, but think with sober judgment. And then this whole section that we've just come through here is talking about serving, to be a working part of the body of Christ. You know, Scripture kind of refers to us as a body, and there's different parts of the body. There's toes, and there's fingers, and, and there's arms, and there's, there's you know, the, the abdomen, and, and all of these things. And that, that what we're called to do, if we're going to be obedient to Christ and serve His purpose, is as a follower of Him, that we ought to be serving, all of us. If we're a follower of Christ, we ought to be serving as a as a function, as a part of the body. And and you know, Paul talks about in Corinthians how if, if one of the members isn't working, if one of the members isn't doing its part, then kind of the other parts of the body have to come alongside and drag it along, okay? And what Paul's saying here is don't be the part that has to be dragged along. And last night, I'm officially old, by the way. Um, some of you have had more birthdays than me, and you're not as old as me, okay? You understand what I'm talking about right here. But um I pulled my back out last night. What's up with that? Like, that's the weirdest thing. I've never had that happen before, and uh, it's painful. I know that part now. Um, but it's my back, all right? And it's an important part of my body. I know that big time right now. Like, it is, and when, when one of the parts of your body isn't functioning right, man, it affects you. Uh, my whole body right now is affected by my back. It, 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 it's screaming right now saying, your body is not working the way it's supposed to be working. That's just what it's saying to me over and over. Um, I hear it, all right? And so the same picture is given to us of you and of me as a part of the body of Christ. If we come together and we're a part of the body and we're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're maybe a toe, or maybe you're like the, the right arm, okay? And we're right-handed, okay? And you, maybe you're the right arm and, and you're necessary, okay? Or, 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 or you're the left leg, right? And, and without you, this place is just going to be dragging along with the arm. Whatever your part is, what Paul says is you're vital, you're not just kind of important. You're not just, if, it's, if, you're, if you think of yourself, oh, I'm just a little toe, I only do this, or I can only do this. You're vital. The body's incomplete without the toe. It's not right. You ever seen people with jacked up toes even? Like, you know? And so you don't even want to be that. You want to be 
a good toe. You want to be a toe that's plugged in and, and doing whatever God's called you to do. And if we're going to fulfill God's purpose, then we have to serve. It goes on in the passage and, and uh, just a couple more verses that we'll look at this morning. But it says um, in verse nine, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Well, that's convicting. How many times have we come in to church? How many times have I come into church and I don't feel good? I've had a rough morning or I'm sick or whatever. And people come in. It's like, ah, hey, my favorite people. Here you are. You know, and it's like in my heart, am I really in love? Am I really loving people? What, what Paul says is let your love be genuine. Don't turn the on and off switch back and forth and you're coming in and you're like, oh, we're in church. So here comes the smile switch back on. And man, I really love you. No, let love be genuine. And say the same things about that person behind their back as you say to their face and let it be genuine. Think highly of that person because they're an image bearer. Abhor what is evil. Oh, I love that passage. I love that phrase. Hate it. Hate what is evil. Hate the things that offend God. Not, not as a Christian. Paul didn't say, man, wish that you could participate in that. I mean, look at it from the outside and just look in at what they're doing out there and just think, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could. I wish I could. St-. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say long for what is evil. He doesn't say look from the outside and, and wish you could be a part of that. He doesn't say that. Hate it. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Again, love. Outdo one another in showing honor. How many, anybody here that's competitive? Raise your hand if you're competitive. If you're competitive, you want to raise your hand right now because you want to show everyone you're more competitive than they are, right? Raise your hand if you're competitive. Raise it up high. Don't be ashamed. Everyone knows. I mean, everyone, obviously, everyone knows. They watch you, okay? Uh, I'm probably more competitive than you are. Now, every one of you are thinking, no way, I'm more competitive than you because you're competitive. That's why I said that, okay? Um, I love this picture because it's almost like competitive, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. Like when you come together as the body or when you're part as the body, that you've got this mindset of they're not going to be more honorable than me. They're not going to show honor. They're not going to um, pour out honor more than I am. There's no way I'm going to be beat in this. I love that picture that Paul gives us. Outdo one another. I mean, come together saying there's no one that's going to show honor to people more than me. Now, we want love to be genuine. So it's honor. It's not fake. It's real honor is what he's talking about. But if our love is genuine, we come together and we're just like, man, I'm going to serve and I'm going to love and I'm going to outdo these people. I'm going to be an example of Christ and showing honor. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy in your zeal, but be fervent. Okay, don't be lazy. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Be be enthusiastic. Be passionate in spirit. Rejoice in hope. Again, rejoice. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant. Again, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, this... These next verses are, are um, incredible. I encourage you to read the rest of this section, verses um, 14 through 21. 
this week as it goes on the same path. But here's the thing, and, and, and I know some of you, as we look through these, these, these verses today, you're like, man, I, I totally thought you were going to tell me what job to take uh, this morning. I thought you were going to say, dear such and such, this is what you're supposed to do. And, and in a sense, um, I hope I am. I hope I am telling you what to do. Um, because what I get from Scripture is, if we're going to do the will of the Lord, then we're going to do these things. And if we're genuinely, and just going back through um, the things that we've talked about so far, if we're genuinely, genuinely living holy lives, if we're doing God's will, if we're set apart in our life, if we're rejoicing always, if we're praying without ceasing, if we're giving thanks in all circumstances, if we're not conformed to the world, if we're transformed by the renewal of the mind, which, by the way, comes from this, as we spend time with the Lord, as we pray without ceasing, and we spend time in His Word, then He transforms our mind through that. If we don't think more highly than we ought, if we're sober-minded, uh, if we use sober judgment, if we serve, if we love genuinely, if we hate evil, if we hold fast to what is good, if we, if we outdo one another in showing honor, if we're not slothful in zeal, if we're fervent in the Spirit, rejoice in hope, if we're patient in tribulation, if we're constant in prayer, if we contribute to the needs of the saints, if we seek to show hospitality, I don't think we're going to have issues with, Lord, what job do you want me to take? What do you want me to do here? What do you, I don't think we will. Those questions are going to come up, but if we're, because here's the problem, here's the problem. I really believe that, and, and this, I, this is an indictment on myself, so often, so often we come and we want to know the left turn, the left turn or the right turn from the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to take this job or do you want me to take this job? Lord, do you want me to go to this grocery store or go to this grocery store? Do you want me to do this or do you want me to do this? And the problem is God has shown us what his will is. He's told us what his will is. He's given us instructions of how to obey his will. And are we as concerned with those things? Are we as concerned with living by the Spirit? Are we as concerned with obeying the will of God biblically? Obeying the will, the will of God by living for Him, by showing honor, by loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, by, by all of these things we've talked about and, and more in Scripture where He says, this is my will. Are we as concerned with doing those things as we are of which job we should take i'm telling you when we love god when we just love god if we would just get to that point where we would say god i want to obey your will and i want to do your will so i'm just going to focus on what i know this is what i know you've called me to live a holy life set apart and I'm going to strive. I'm not going to be perfect. David wasn't perfect, and he still fulfilled God's purpose for him and his generation. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to continue to fail, but your grace is sufficient. Just like we sang earlier, your grace is enough. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to strive with everything I am to live a life that is pleasing to you. I'm going to strive with everything that I am to live a life that is honorable, to live a life that is set apart, to be a reflection of you to this world, the best that I possibly can, guided by your Holy Spirit and led by you. I'm going to do that. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, the frustrations and the 
worries and the concerns and the fretting and all of those things about I don't know what job to take or I don't know who to marry or I don't know what to name my kid or whatever it is, which becomes a problem when you have four, okay? Whatever those things are, I'm I'm telling you, we're not going to be as concerned with those when we start living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. And God, thank you for telling us in your word what you want us to do. And you tell us that without faith, it's impossible to please you. And So I pray that as we're challenged by this, that we're not disappointed. I pray that as we, as we hear the things that you've called us to, that we don't look at it with disappointment. But with love and conviction and concern. Lord, that we would look at it genuinely from our hearts as you're calling for us. And Jesus, even as you said in Luke, that as we begin to do these things, we wouldn't do them for attention. We wouldn't do them to be lifted up. That our response would just be, we just, we're just servants and we've just done what we've been told to do. Would you help us, Lord, to live faithfully to you, God, and not look at these passages defeated. That we wouldn't look at these verses as losers, Lord, but that we would remember that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. And just as Paul said in Romans, if we, if we lay our lives down before you as living sacrifices, you will live through us. You will empower us. You will enable us. You will shine through us, God. So that our lives are lives that are genuine image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ and that the world would look and glorify you, glorify you as we serve you with gladness, Lord. I pray for each and every one of us, every single person that's in this room, Lord. Some are, are, are looking at this passage and knowing I've got, I've got to go forward with this. I've got to live for the King of Kings. I've got to live for the Lord of Lords. And, and some may be just so defeated in their seats right now. And God, that's not why you put these things in Scripture. You've called us to live a holy life, but you've given us yourself. So God, I pray for those people who may def- feel defeated right now, that you would lift them up, that you would stoop down to make them great, that you would give them faith just as you called us to have faith so that we can please you. Pray that for every one of us, God. Be glorified through our lives, God. Help us to fulfill your purpose for our generation and please you through it in Jesus name. Amen.